Hi, I'm Dale Sherbeck, and welcome to the HQ, a CHA Learning and Healthcare Can podcast serial where we dive into healthcare issues and topics from the perspective of its people and discuss them with those that are leading in the health system. Together, we'll try to unpack those topics and learn what actions are being taken to innovatively solve them today. There are a few topics that unite us all, and by all I mean globally, but certainly one is our environment. Whether we're talking about global warming or climate change, pollution of air or water, food supply, wildfires, or catastrophic weather events, we're ultimately talking about the sustainability of our world and the ecosystem upon which all life and our species in particular depends. I know some listeners may be fatigued by discussions of the environment, you may feel you get it already, and you may be inclined to hit skip on this because you're wondering what does this have to do with healthcare or its people. To all of you, I will say, please listen, because you'll soon understand that this is very much a matter critical to healthcare. We'll be discussing why this is a people problem and a problem of health and for health, but importantly, that healthcare itself is part of the problem. It may surprise many of us in an industry focused on health to learn that by some measures, healthcare is in fact the third largest polluter, which is clearly contrary to creating health. But as is the case with most problems, therein lies the solutions, because healthcare is also one of the largest parts of our economy, because it is one of the largest consumers of energy, one of the largest purchasers of goods, and also one of the largest employers of people. Healthcare, therefore, has a huge stake in both solving this, but also has a huge amount of influence in the solutions. And health professionals are themselves critically part of the solution as well. One organization that is leading this is HealthPro Canada, a national group purchasing organization that is committed to making a difference to sustainability and providing health organizations with practical and realistic ways they themselves can make a difference just in terms of how they procure products and services. To have this conversation, I'm joined by an exceptional panel of experts, including Kendra Fry, Vice President, Materials Management at HealthPro Canada. In her role, Kendra is responsible for the strategic oversight of several business units, including HealthPro's materials management portfolio that includes its clinical support services, nutrition, food services, capital equipment, and signature services. In this capacity, she drives new strategies to deliver the best value to members. Kendra is a certified supply chain management professional and holds an honors and bachelor of commerce in management economics from the University of Guelph. Also from HealthPro Canada, I'm joined by Elam Halan. He is the clinical director at HealthPro Canada and is a driving force in the realm of sustainability with his rich blend of experience in pharmacy, biotechnology, and business. With almost a decade in the pharmacy and clinical research space, Alam broadened his horizons with an MBA from Oxford University. This global educational journey ignited his passion for sustainability, prompting him to integrate these principles into his professional endeavors. Alam is a seasoned veteran in leading successful digital transformations within the pharmacy sector. He's keen on leveraging his tech skills to nurture environmentally responsible initiatives and bridge the gap between healthcare and sustainability. And finally, I'm very pleased to be joined by Elisa Franz, the Chief Executive Officer of Health Proc Europe. Elisa's mission is to humanize patient care by creating valuable, collaborative, and transparent health ecosystems. Elisa advises organizations in the healthcare sector from the corporate to startup level on an international scale. And with her entrepreneurial mindset, she brings bold ideas to life, leveraging multi-stakeholder connections across industries with the aim to accelerate digital transformation. 
So hi, Kendra, Alam, and Lisa, and welcome to the HQ. Hello, very good to be here. Thank you for having me, Jill. Very happy to be here. Glad to be here. So I'm very grateful all of you taking the time to join me today to have what is clearly one of the most important conversations any of us can have in healthcare. And given we have a lot of to cover in this massive topic, so let's maybe just get right to it. Um, so Kendra, appreciating that most, if not all of our listeners are coming to this conversation from, from different perhaps starting points, perhaps we can start with what does sustainability mean to healthcare and why is sustainability um, such a, a big issue to healthcare? I think you said it actually in your uh, intro, we're the third largest polluter worldwide um, of the environment. And I think, you know, in our panic to bring supplies even into as small a country as Canada uh, during the COVID pandemic, um, you know, we uncovered the fact that there's a whole lot of um, unethical things happening in the supply chain. And so, you know, for instance, forced labor and gloves made in, in those conditions and child labor and all of those things. That's why it's important in healthcare and sustainability. So maybe maybe one of you could provide, a, um, I guess, an example, maybe to help illustrate this as you've been describing, Kendra. Um, you know, what are some of the complexities in supply chain and, and as you've been describing around the ethical, social, economics or the environmental envir variables um, that make up production um, to maybe, maybe help people appreciate what that means? Sure, absolutely. I think um, let's take it out of the medical device and, and drug sphere for a second and focus on something that everybody can understand, the simplicity of a cotton t-shirt and the production of a cotton t-shirt. It seems super straightforward, but there's a lot of complexities involved in that supply chain along with numerous ethical, social, economic, and environmental variables. Um, so as an example, you've got your raw material sourcing, and the first step is really obtaining the cotton for the t-shirt. The production of that cotton involves social aspects like fair labor practices, ensuring workers' rights and fair wages. There's ethical concerns if the cotton is sourced from regions where child labor is prevalent, or if unsustainable farming practices are used, which impact the environment, of course. In the manufacturing part of the supply chain, after the cotton is harvested, it needs to be processed and spun into yarn, followed by fabric production and dyeing. And this staging includes factors such as safe working conditions for factory workers, fair wages, and compliance with environmental regulations. The use of toxic dyes, for example, or chemicals can harm both the workers and the ecosystem. So there's crossover in, in each of those areas, environmental and and um, social. Uh, on the assembly and packaging part of the supply chain, once the fabric is actually ready, then it goes through the cutting process, the sewing and assembly to create a t-shirt. And of course that step involves labor conditions and worker safety and fair treatment. And there's the packaging materials such as plastic bags or the tags that go into the garment. All of those things contribute to waste generation and environmental impact. <clears throat> Next step would be the transportation. So the finished t-shirts need to be transported from wherever the manufacturing facility is to the distribution center or the retail stores. And that process involves fuel consumption and emissions and logistical considerations. 
and ethical concerns may arise if the workers involved in the transportation face exploitative conditions. Um, in the retail and sales, kind of close to the downstream supply chain, we've got factors like fair pricing and marketing ethics and customer satisfaction uh, that all come into play in terms of social responsibility that would include providing accurate information about the product's origin, the materials that are used, and the manufacturing processes that were used, economic factors such as profit margins and fair competition can affect, can affect the pricing and the availability of the t-shirt. And then with uh, once it gets to the consumer, the use and disposal of the t-shirt comes into play. Um, and so consumer behavior becomes very important there. Ethical choices involve kind of proper care and usage of the product, reducing the waste and recycling, or donating unwanted clothing. Environmental impacts arise from the disposal of the t-shirt with considerations like landfill waste or the energy intensive process of textile recycling. So end of life management comes into play here and that's you know managing the disposable or the recycling aspects of the t-shirt, that's where things become critical. So ethical and environmental factors such as encouraging responsible disposable practices, promoting circularity uh, economy models and reducing textile waste. Um, kind of the big message there is, is high quality. <laughs> you don't want to be buying fast fashion and, and sticking more into um, you know, the disposal and landfill and, and making that process of recycling a lot quicker. Quality garments last longer. Um, so that really, that, that kind of from start to finish of, of the whole supply chain of a cotton t-shirt uh, involves numerous complexities, right from the start, right from sourcing the raw materials, right to the end of the life stage. Um, and you can, I hope you picked up on the ethical, social, economic, and environmental variables that intertwine with each other at each step. And so there's careful consideration that's required and responsible practices throughout the whole supply chain. Yeah, I think if, I mean, one, you've very well demonstrated that it is a chain. Uh, there's a, a lot of links and all of that along the way. Um, and I think anybody who's been in terms of doing sort of root cause analysis, and I sort of envision the sort of fishbone diagram with all these different elements that are impacting, right, the, uh, um, the production and consumption of that product. But when we talk about sustainability, I guess uh, it's a very subjective or normative sort of statement in terms of something being done sustainably or not sustainably. And how do we really evaluate what that is? I mean, can you put words or something to that that helps us to understand what's, you know, is something being done sustainably or not? You're right, it is subjective. I think, um, you know, at HealthPro, we developed a scorecard that measures key areas within the pillars, each pillar of sustainability, uh, social, the economic, and the environmental. We tried to keep it as binary as possible in the scoring methodology. Um, so, for instance, uh, and I'll, I'll talk about the latest version of the scorecard that we've done because it's not live yet, we're collecting feedback on it. Um, but in the environmental uh, area of sustainability, we're measuring the um, greenhouse gas equivalents or in CO2s. And we've broken it down into scope one and scope two, as well as scope three. So scope one and scope two are its own question. And there we're looking for year over year reporting of the emissions just for scope one and scope two. 
and there were awarding points uh, in a particular RFP based on the percentage decrease in year over year when sales are normalized. Obviously, if you have more sales in a particular year, your emissions would likely go up. Um, so normalizing sales, uh, you can see what the true impact of any environmental initiatives have been with respect to carbon emission equivalents. Um, on scope three, we added a question that is really about, it defines you know, scope three emissions, it defines all of the different points within the supply chain where scope three emissions would be present. And we're just asking if suppliers measure any of those and which ones specifically they measure. Then points are awarded, you know, it's not points on the yes or no. Um, obviously, if you say no, we're not measuring that, then you don't get points for the next section. The next section awards points, and it's based on how many of those different aspects within scope three emissions are you actually able to track and measure. And so it's not empirical. It's not about the actual number because getting arms around scope three emissions is is the progress and the evolution in itself right now. Thanks, Kendra. Um, so, Alam, um, I mean, there's obviously a, a lot in terms of our um, supply of products, I guess, that are coming into our healthcare organizations. Um, you know, based on your your research and I guess your studies as well, um, you know, what are some of the different myths and assumptions that we make in healthcare that perhaps have larger consequences that we haven't really thought about? So I think they somehow we've got to a point in healthcare where we feel that sustainability and healthcare can go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. One of the largest myths we have is disposable is better. More high tech is better. Uh, somehow we've decided to ignore the amount of pollution that pharmaceuticals create. Um, and one of the newest ones we have is digital healthcare doesn't have an environmental impact. And the latest one being climate change doesn't impact healthcare. And you know we can attest to the example of how the recent forest fires had a huge impact on people's asthma um, and other respiratory issues. Um, going back to the disposable one, that is, that is the, probably one of the biggest challenges that we have to encounter in the next little bit. And we saw a lot of it. It came to the forefront with all the PPE that was expected to be utilized during COVID care, uh, taking care of uh, patients with COVID. Um, Single-use disposable items, there's a large influx. You can go anywhere in the world and you see gloves, masks, uh, other PPE equipment lying around on the ground. And mm -hmm. it's causing a huge issue. The production disposable, and waste management of these items has significant environmental impact and also on you know, the, the amount of pollution that they create. What we need to shift our sh thinking is, it's not only disposable that's clean, there's other ways of getting to clean. Reusable can be cleaned. And we're seeing this shift slowly, but there's still a large amount of resistant, resistance towards uh, multi-use, equipment in, in healthcare, and that causes a lot of waste. Um, that's the one thing. The other one is more treatment is always better. We tend to overtreat conditions. We tend to overlook approaches that are preventative rather than curative. And uh, 
that is having some huge implications in the way we deliver healthcare as well. Uh, social determinants of health are, are a major, major factor that can reduce the amount of healthcare we have to deliver within the four walls of our, of our healthcare system. And uh, speaking of four walls, that's another myth um, that we have going on is that in order for us to get healthcare, we need to go to a specific kind of building. We need to either go to a hospital, we either need to go to a clinic, we either need to an extra facility, and things are changing um, with the, the large push that we've seen in, in the telemedicine and the digital health space. That is all shifting. Uh, during COVID, we figured out how to do a lot of these things without moving the patient around. And what we discovered is the less we move the patient around and the more care we provide within the, the four walls of their home rather than the four walls of their healthcare facility, the less environmental impact we have. Um, and the, the, the other thing that we've done is we've created technology, going back to the point of high-tech is more better. We've mm -hmm. created technology that neglects, just like other things in healthcare has neglected the healthcare impact. Um, we have energy efficient uh, home appliances that perform a lot better than the, the commercial uh, medical equipment that we use. The shift is there, but the pressure for them was not as, as big as we saw in, in the consumer market, but that's all changing. Hospitals are required to be monitoring, reporting on their energy consumption. And we see seeing a lot of emphasis being placed on energy efficient infrastructure, optimizing their usage, and adopting renewable energy to reduce the healthcare sector's carbon footprint. Uh, so those are some of the things that we see that, that are happening in the space to, to recognize the myths and then work on the PR side of things so that people understand, but also have the technology available to replace um, some of these issues that we've recognized. There's a lot in what you've described. I mean, it, in some ways, it dis you describe the way healthcare itself is is um, invented and delivered as being really part of the problem, right? In terms of right our acute systems, right our our focus on disease as opposed to uh, prevention, the way we deliver the care um, in those spaces. Um, so yes, I think. When we when we talk in other spaces about a transformation of our health system and how you know we talk about sustainability, often we're talking about dollars and cents and the people. But I think what you're clearly drawing a, a linkage to is that it's not. It, it is also about the environment when we talk about sustainability. So Dale, even even when it comes to dollars and cents, it just depends on how do you measure dollar and cents. Mm -hmm. like, it's cheaper to give. Um, uh, medication for someone, let's say for the asthma, going back to the asthma example, but using like preventative medicine, preventative healthcare, social determinants of health, you don't see the dollar impact in the short term of things, but you see that when you expand. The same thing can be said about when we, when we look for cheaper products, cheaper materials to be used in healthcare. Yes, in, in, in the closer sphere, if you just look price as a marker mm -hmm. and you don't look at externalization of cost, uh, 
you're able to get a cheaper product. But if you expand your horizon, you look at all the you know, things that were not accounted for in that low price, you do end up spending more money in the long term. You do end up harming other impact, other, other places that then come back to impact you. So, so even dollar-wise, it makes sense to be sustainable. And we are seeing that shift in a lot of corporations and a lot of non-healthcare businesses. And it's just a matter of time before healthcare starts to realize how they've been externalizing costs, not even just in the production of um, um, healthcare products or pharmaceuticals or anything, but even the patient care itself. Um, you need to, to look at the bigger aspect, the long-term horizon. And then you start to say that it makes sense to be socially responsible. It makes sense to look at the social determinants of health. It makes sense to procure products that are sustainable for our environment from every perspective, including the dollar value. That's a, yeah, I think, and it's a, it's a good addition. And I think it segues into my next question um, as well, because I mean, you're, you're certainly focusing on the importance of language there. So maybe I can move to you, Alisa, from there. And so, um, you know, as we talk about, you know, sustainability and, and environment and the, the, the impact that language is in terms of how we choose to define that. And I think, you know, Alam's just made some good points about that. Um, it certainly helps us as individuals to really understand, I guess, what we're talking about and to make it personal as opposed to this larger, um, you know, allegory about something else that's happening to someone else somewhere else. So based on your experience about what's happening perhaps in Europe, given your space, um, what would be your advice and perspectives on this and how it's being managed um, on your continent? Well, first of all, Dale, thank you, thank you for the question. And uh, before going uh, more into detail, I would really like to connect back on um, Alam's input because I think this is really what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And I would also say that to not even make this um, problem bigger, but this is definitely a system question because mm -hmm. how our healthcare systems are being set up, it doesn't help us to drive sustainability actions in the sense of creating incentives, creating benefits to actually rethink how healthcare is being delivered. And I'm here talking about the long-term strategy, looking into what does really value-based healthcare mean? And does it mean like treating sick care? Um, and also um, the questioning of how we deliver healthcare, of what Alam mentioned. I think we're very much only into treating the consequences that actually, if we want to make that very short, we're causing as a healthcare sector. So I fully agree that also mm, looking into how can we rethink that system, um, we need to start from a healthcare perspective and coming so from the European space, let's say, um, what we're trying to do with bringing a focus on procurement professionals in healthcare, they're so keen for us in actually coming and starting acting as catalyst for making this a game change. Why? Because if we're looking into the scope three emissions um, and if we realize that actually, well, 70%, something about that accounts to what has been bought in terms of goods and services, well, this comes down to procurement. And this is here where we need to make sure, and this is what we're sending for as Health Proc Europe Association, is creating that common knowledge because we have a big knowledge gap. And I wouldn't say um, 
to focus on on the good things and let's say focus on the opportunities this is not a problem as such in the sense of we're able to solve it it's a problem if we ignore it and if we think we want to continue as it is right now for the future because i think this is very short term focused and for me it's something very hard to very hard to believe um so what we're doing as um as the organization is really to create that common language by bringing together the procurement peers by establishing commitment from the top level management because also this is here where we need to implement strategies on sustainabilities i'm very a fan of i would say very pragmatic um actions but we also need to have the commitment of the c level and this is for me how we need to shift the thinking of healthcare procurement in being purely administrative but rather actually having a strategic role to play mm -hmm. in supporting decision making of what kind of products and services are actually meant to support sustainable healthcare organizations and speaking from a european side there is a lot of good examples yes but there is still a lot of things to be done and i would say like from my practical experience i mean working in um projects with hospitals i do like that um, that passion to drive this like from a from a procurement perspective because there's so much focus still on price and i think it's still focused so much on i would say a negative competition so why don't we act as um leaders from a healthcare procurement side take um that relationship building with suppliers and tell suppliers what we want um i think we are very um laid back i would say i'm i'm talking from that uh part of um the roles we're taking in the sense of just being reactive i think it's time for us to stand up speak out and say how we want this to take place in understanding the procurement role as well the game changer to really create the transparency of data create transparency of what is being bought and help others from the healthcare organizations to understand what it actually is because it takes a lot of courage and i think it also takes a lot of um, cultural transformation within the organization to make that change and make that efforts and with all the i would say other challenges and crises we're facing this is a very difficult one but i think it's um a difficult one looking into short term perspective and there is nothing to look like short term i think this is a topic we need to handle i think being in healthcare we are at the forefront i think we should be pioneering this because for us health is like the outmost um pillar of being um and this is what we want to serve so therefore to come back to your question i think we need leadership on very different levels we need leadership from the people who are actually acting as procurement professionals in the field we need leadership of the c levels to actually guide and um give a strategy of where they should go to and then we should be very um, humble of looking into what can we learn from each other and how can we exchange of what we have been doing and also be honest about um what doesn't work because i think this helps us so much in the sense of not repeating the mistakes others have been doing and there's nothing wrong in doing things wrong i think this is absolutely great in getting it tried out getting it um tested and then realizing okay this does not work but we did it we didn't just sit there we didn't just sign pledges and hope that the pledges would solve our problems because they don't um so summing this up for me this is really about 
creating connections and collaboration within the organization, across your suppliers, and even among the procurement professionals across different countries. So this is what we're here for. And this is actually, if I might uh, mention this, that we have created an initiative between Health Pro Europe and Health Pro Canada to embark with some first um, selected countries to better understand how our group purchasing organizations performing on sustainability actions. What can we learn from their hospital members and how can we bring that together to really I would say drive that exchange and drive the conversation and learn. Learning together, I would say, is such an important fact here because we don't know it all. And I would say we know very little. So I think to ramp up and accelerate our learning um, experience, this is the only way how we can get it done. Thank you, Elisa. That's, uh, there's a lot of brilliance in what you've described there. Um, <clears throat> Certainly, I mean, you, you've emphasized the importance of systems in this and that, you know, I guess, and healthcare is not uh, an island unto itself, right? It, it works within a larger series of systems and, and the leadership and the people that are involved in that. Um, and I do appreciate the emphasis on, on procurement leaders being sort of critical to the solutions here and, and being valued perhaps as, as parts of a, a larger strategy. Um, one of the, I guess, the things that each of the three of you has, has mentioned so far, and maybe I can just ask for someone to provide a bit more of a definition of this for our listeners who maybe are not as uh, attuned to that, is the descriptions you've given around scope one, two, and three emissions. Um, and what is the difference in that? And and I mean, I think I understand that you're in some ways describing the supply chain itself. Um but um, maybe since, Elisa, you've been giving us some definitions uh, and the importance of language on that, I can ask you to sort of provide us some more clarity on to what that might be, if that's, if that's fair, or maybe somebody else in the group. I would actually love to hand it over to someone else to go a bit more into detail. Alam? Uh, sure, I can, I can take a stab at it. Uh, kind of feel free to help me out over here. So the difference between the two and the three uh so so basically if you look at any uh, company any any organization's emissions scope one is coming from sources that a company directly controls mm -hmm. so those were the examples would be uh basically any any machinery that they they and any any sources that they produce to end up with a with an end product, and they have within their control to be able to change that process to reduce the those emissions. So, like the emissions that are coming out of a, a, a boiler or a stack in a, at a hospital itself. Uh, well, depending on how, yeah. So, so whatever is happening with their final end product. So, let's say they're making PPE, and they're using uh, a particular kind of material to produce the PPE. So what are emissions are coming from that production process itself? That is scope one for that company. Mm -hmm. The reason I mentioned for that company is because things, things will change as you start to merge into scope three when you started talking about uh, uh, their suppliers. Uh, someone's scope three might be someone else's scope one emission. Mm -hmm. uh, moving on to scope two is when they're indirect emissions from things like uh, the electricity that you're using within your building, uh, the heating and the cooling that's happening in your building. Uh, so those are indirect emissions 
that are coming from you know resources that they purchase to produce um, their products. So that falls under scope three. Uh, scope three is sometimes when you use third-party companies to 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 do work for you. So that is still generating emissions that is related to the work that is integral to the part of the company, but that falls outside their scope. So generally we see that companies are really good to handle their scope one reasonably well and started to understand scope three, but struggle when they start to look at scope three. Uh, but then again, that's where partnership comes in because the scope three for an for a, for a organized third-party organization that you're using it's their scope one emission. So that's when you need to have those conversations when you start to build, build collaborations and partnerships to work together with your, with your partners. And that's when you start to work on, when they start to work on their scope one, it also indirectly reduces your scope three emissions and that's where partnerships come in really handy. Thanks, Alam. Uh, you wanted to add something to that, Kendra? So just expanding on some of the examples, um, you, you're right about that kind of boiler room example. Scope one is everything in your control, basically. So that could include as well, like your company-owned fleet of vehicles for a sales team, any kind of on-site power generation, uh, or anything that you can measure from your own internal industrial processes. Um, the scope two emissions are associated with generation of purchased electricity. Uh, so that's really activities occurring outside your operational boundaries and uh, they're related to energy consumption. So they're considered indirect because emissions occur at the facility where the energy is generated, not at the reporting organization's location. Again, easy to measure, um, very empirical. We've, we've got the systems in place to track that. Um, you can track that through your utility providers. Scope yeah. three emissions, uh, that's everything else. So that's the one that is like 90% responsible for emissions and it's considered indirect greenhouse gas emissions and it occurs as a result of the organization's activities, but they're not included in scope two. So not owned or controlled by the organization, but related to its whole value chain. So if you think about that cotton t-shirt example I gave at the beginning, it's all the upstream and all the downstream activities that would be part of scope three emissions. So you really have to have um, supply chain tra transparency to be able to get your arms around that and be able to report on it. I think vertically integrated companies have it a lot easier in being able to find those different sources. But um, for the most part, when you're not vertically integrated, it's, it's very difficult to get uh, arms around that and be able to report and reduce and, and find better strategies. So they tend to operate more at a high level when it comes to implementing sustainability initiatives. Yeah, so that the, I think in the, in the supply chain management side, I guess, is when a product is being manufactured in another place run by another company, it could be through a high intensity sort of production process that perhaps produces uses a lot of energy or has a lot of uh, other kinds of emissions. Um, and there can be some that manufacture that same product using less energy or and less pollutants. And, and that would be the difference between how you measure those from your perspective for your scope three. But for, I think, as you've been describing a lamb for that company itself, those are scope one emissions because they have direct control over them but your choice to use one supplier over another supplier would in change your own 
um, utilization, I guess, of or your scope three emissions impact. Am I getting that right? You're absolutely right. You're yeah. Right. So, and, and, and that's exactly what we're seeing. So, so that's where we see the difference between companies that are ESG aware and the companies that are deciding to ignore it in terms of short-term profit. Uh, so, your choice of your supplier, and sometimes you know those suppliers uh, are not at the same level. So, you, you of understanding their ESGs and working with them, and that's where some companies chose to partner with their suppliers work together versus other companies have decided to ignore it. And that's where we're seeing a major sh differential between the, between the two kinds of companies. Ones that are actively working on their scope through scope three through partnerships with their suppliers and the companies that are deciding to um, ignore that and either planning to tackle it later uh, or for financial reasons, deciding not to look at it. Right, and then coming back to the points that yourself and Elisa, I think, were making and choose, cho choosing um, perhaps a, a supplier that is selling a product cheaper um, may come at a greater emission cost, um, and therefore cheaper isn't necessarily better. I think, as we've often hear, but um, so. Um, Alam, I think you touched on it a little bit more, but maybe just to sort of probe on that, um, perhaps more if you want to add more, how does the question of where and how healthcare is delivered impact our sustainability? Uh, yeah, so it's again about, you know, how stretched your supply chains are in terms of procurement. The, the, the more supply chains you stretch, the more resources that you use. And we see the same thing in, 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 in healthcare as well. Um, in, in most cases, we see uh, a patient would have to go to multiple places in order to accomplish one healthcare visit. For example, they can go to the family physicians who can um, refer them to a specialist, and then further on, they can be referred to some diagnostic testing. And as you can imagine, all this generates a much higher carbon footprint versus if we if we are able to deliver healthcare in a, in a with a sustainable hat on when we when we start to account for the patient's time, for the patient's travels and all those kind of things. And we traditionally we haven't looked at them. Traditionally, we've always thought it's cheaper to compartmentalize and deliver healthcare in in a batched manner. But we seeing how that quickly unraveled during COVID, and um, also looking at that 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 medical facilities that we always strive for is you know the one place with all the facilities, but that also starts to produce concentrated pollution. It does produce concentrated healthcare, but at the same time, it also produces centralized pollution, and that is another theme that we are seeing. Um, healthcare systems have acknowledged it. Uh, we see uh, ER, um, ER visits in, in Canada and Ontario delivering medicine services for the patient as well, which, which is a first. Before pandemic, we never thought it would be possible for you to be able to have a telemedicine visit with your hospital. But just because the way the, the financial incentives were in place for the hospitals to deliver the healthcare. But COVID, um, with some of the, you know, the positives that we've seen through it, has decided to open up a whole different way of funding healthcare. And with that, we're seeing more and more of that happening. Uh, it remains to be seen which way we go back as the pressure from the pandemic is lifted. 
but overall, globally, we, we're seeing that a lot of gains that we saw in telemedicine and delivering healthcare where we account for patients' inconvenience and what works best for patient. We're seeing a trend, trend in that direction to continue. Thanks, Alam. Um, one of the, I guess, the questions in terms of the use of telemedicine, perhaps, and, and I think an earlier point, you talked about the, the move to digital healthcare. Um, and I'm not sure if I, any of you sort of maybe feel comfortable to weigh in on this. I, I, I know it may be a bit more complicated, but, you know, the healthcare for the last, I'd say, decade or two has been moving towards a digital transformation as we describe it, like the rest of our economy, but certainly a move from paper, you know, paper charts and paper information, all this right into a digital space. Uh, so, you know, we're saving trees uh, on the one hand in this move to um, putting everything in a digital format. Is that better? And what are the consequences of that in terms of our sustainability and our environment? Can I take a stab at this one? This one's really close to heart for me. Sure. I actually spent the first 22 years of my life in India. Um, one of the things that I noticed that was different over there compared to over here was, um, over there, it was a paper charting system, of course, that was the 80s and the 90s. Uh, but what would happen at the end of that interaction was, whoever the physician was, they would hand that paper copy back to the patient. So every patient would carry around their own chart with them. And that just became their responsibility. Uh, so every family member, every household member, they would have their own chart. They would go to different physicians, take the chart with them. The physicians would contribute to the chart and the chart goes back to the patient and the patient decides to give it to whoever they want to. So when I came to Canada, I, I, I saw, that was 2007. So at, at that time we saw computers being used in clinics, uh, the documentation of the chart, but that chart was never really shared with the, with the patient, it was more for the, for the healthcare provider to maintain their own records. And that's when we start to see a lot of issues that we saw, there's collaboration of care. Uh, we're delivering care to the patient, but patient really has no access to the healthcare record. And it was all fragmented because every place they went to, they maintain their own paper copy or even electronic copy, it doesn't matter, right? So, mm -hmm. so we're still trying to solve this issue. Um, but the, the patient-owned, patient-controlled health record is, is another movement that's gaining momentum. The, the North American market is a little bit of at a disadvantage because what happened here was we got to computing sooner than some of the developed countries. So because we got to the computing sooner, um, but the com computing power and internet was still new. So we got computing before we got really the, you know, before we unleashed the power of the internet. So what happened when we started to make electronic copies of the paper record, it's truly not a digital system. It's just an image file of a, of a thing that looks like paper and it's technically is still paper. So mm -hmm. we, we did it that way. And then that kind of became known as a digital health record, but it's really not. And that policy has done more harm than good because if you, the, the yardstick that you decide to measure digitization of a healthcare system was how many physician offices are using electronic charts. It's pretty hot. 
But how many of those charts are truly digital and can be shared seamlessly with other providers? Then, then that changed the whole perspective. Then, then, then we are far behind some of the developing nations, which, which never made that transition to the paper to the scan version. And they've actually just jumped from using paper to using truly digital system. So, so they have an advantage of not dealing with the friction of what we're seeing in North America. And um, coming back to your point, so, so that's a struggle that we deal with. Once we get to that point where we, we see that healthcare records are truly uh, uh, empowering patients. I'm not saying freely available because you know the privacy concerns and everything, but there's, there's ways around it. We have technologies that can allow, going back to my initial example of patient controlling their own health record, holding it in their own hand and deciding who to give it to. We have those technologies in place. Once we start to utilize them, we'll see a lot of impact that we didn't see with the first iteration of our so-called digital or digitization of health records. Thanks, Alain. Yeah, you want to add something to that, Lisa? I would love to add something here because, I mean, I fully echo of what Alam is saying. I'm also from a um, rather German uh, perspective. So I think we have been since more than 20 years trying to digitalize our patient records. And I think the question here around sustainability in a broader sense um, for me is about transparency, is about ownership and accountability, that actually we do not repeat treatments and um, scans that are unnecessary. So I would say in that sense, it actually attributes to being more sustainable, how we do healthcare, because we know what some other institution has been done. Right now, how I can see that it's so siloed, rather in missing out one um, activity, we do that double. So I think that's not very helpful, neither for the economics, nor for the patient, um, nor for um, the sustainability. And um, I think digitalization can do a lot to actually help us bridge certain activities and create that um, interconnection between primary um, healthcare um, providers, the hospitals, the home care. And um, I think that interconnectedness is a key towards a more sustainable um, healthcare system. Of course, we shouldn't forget, uh, yes, every search we're doing doing every um, electronic device we're using, we're also, you know, uh, creating emissions, I'm not said that, but I think it can reduce um, the double work, triple work that sometimes has been done um, due to a better overview of what has been already performed. And then looking into, and I just want to give a good example, because I was very impressed, actually, how Portugal has been doing this, being um, a very centralized healthcare system. They have mm -hmm. a lot of information on how does what kind of hospital um, do perform, who is working and what kind of hospitals. And again, obviously um, privacy is always um, embedded in all these information, there is no question, but they have this overall view. And I think that helps so much in taking better decisions from a strategy point of view, from a national healthcare system into like the different um, healthcare institutions. And here I do believe that looking into our public healthcare system. And I think we account within Europe for like circa um, 15,000 hospitals. There is a lot to be done because uh, we're not connected. And then if you move within Europe from one country to another, no one knows what you have, how you should be treated. There's a couple of um, 
agreements among certain countries that have bilateral collaboration where this is possible. But if I would go on summer holidays um, from Germany into France and I need a prescription, well, you tell me how I get this because this is very difficult of actually making sure if we would have a digitalized system that would definitely help to be a more harmonized and a more interconnected system. So I wanted to share this to just um, support, um, and I don't know if you hear that, but like a bit the, the frustration of why are we not able to do this because technology is there. It's not a question of technology. Yeah, I'm, I'm smiling a little bit because I think what you're describing is in, in Europe, which is uh, right a continent with many countries, is what happens in Canada, a single country with 13 provinces and territories where we can't do the same thing that you describe, even though we are the single country. So um, that, that, anyways, it seems like a bit of a wake up call. But um, I'm talking about, I guess, so maybe segueing from what you've just been describing, Elisa, and moving to you, Kendra, around transparency and how we use all that information for making decisions. Um, you know, how how do we make better decisions in the space that we are in right now, Kendra? Oh, you're on mute again. I don't know why I keep putting myself on mute. Um, I think awareness is probably the first step towards uh, better measurement, more informed decision making. Um, at HealthPro, our scorecard is designed to assess an organization's sustainability footprint as opposed to sustainability at a product level. Um, so you're choosing basically in a particular category to work with a supplier that has, you know, better sustainability in terms of what they're doing than uh, you know supplier B. Um, that's kind of at a high level. I think when you get more, so once we kind of get past that and it becomes more socialized and more accepted and we're able to take attention and focus away from pricing and put it more towards sustainability and even embed sustainability into the costing model, um, that's kind of the next step. I think when you're dealing with a well-established market and the same players over and over again, and you know you have to go out public tendering, you have to go to RFP, you have to make um, you know decisions based on on how those responses come back and, and the scoring process. I think when you're working with an established market, you can actually take some of those points away from product quality as well because they're meaningless when all the players are kind of the same. Um, again, very case specific in established markets only, um, you know, and you can you, you put more of that towards sustainability. Right now, sustainability has maybe 5% attention on the overall scorecard, 10% is pushing it. I know there's some countries in the world that are, you know, advocating for 30%. Um, but until it becomes, I guess, the, the message there is the majority of what it is that you're looking to do in how you make your decision making, it can't just be a small part. It, it really does have to be the leading factor in how you're, you're making a decision. Thanks, Kendra. So I think as we're talking about, I guess, supply chains in a, in a more, um, I guess, personal sort of mode, I guess, for many Canadians, the pandemic certainly brought the word supply chain to the front of most of our conversations when we realized that we didn't have enough of whatever. 
right? Whether it was in our grocery stores, things started to run out, um, or we would hear on the news about, um, you know, the challenge of getting masks from China to, you know, to be able to outfit our um, healthcare workers. So, you know, what has been the impact of all this on supply chains, I guess, in terms of your work or more even if, in larger sort of, uh, you know, transnational conversations? Um, you know, what, where does it lead us now and, and where, where are the conversations going to keep going, Kendra? I think um, with respect to PPE, and I would honestly say that the ensuing supply disruptions, because a lot of this started in COVID-19, um, and a lot of it started pre-COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think COVID-19 really brought to the forefront um, the need for resilience in the supply chain, transparency and collaboration amongst all the different players. It highlighted the importance of building domestic production capabilities, and you can see governments uh, putting forward policy to enhance domestic production capabilities and support those markets. It uh, put attention and spotlight on diversifying your supply sources, so don't put all your eggs in one basket. Uh, ensuring the availability of critical supplies during emergencies through stockpiling. Um, but you know, one of the <laughs> downsides of stockpiling is when that if, if you don't have proper inventory management protocols or even uh, services in place, all of that product is going to landfill or recycling. Mm-hmm. So huge environmental impact. Um, so so it's not just stocking critical supplies, it's the whole management of how that works and being able to rotate that inventory and use it in regular um, circulation as well. And moving forward, our discussions need to focus on strengthening supply chain resilience, which many of them are. There's a number of government initiatives under the way and various associations within Canada investing in local manufacturing. And I know at least in Ontario with the Building Ontario Better Initiative, uh, that the government is focused on, that that is definitely a priority for Ontarians, improving transparency and, of course, addressing ethical concerns within the supply chain to better prepare for the future crisis. So one of the things I mentioned at the beginning was uh, nitrile gloves and the forced labor conditions in which they were made, um, many of them coming from Malaysia. So there's actually uh, an act that received royal assent um, that's going to start targeting that and actually not be accepting products into Canada. So that's actually becoming mandatory now. It's no longer something that you have to measure indicators for. It's a really positive step that starts in 2024. And, and that means, you know, that particular question within our scorecard can then shift onto another um, key ethical concern within supply chains. Ah, that's a really positive example and, and, and really great news. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Um, so, Elisa, um, Alain described, I guess, how existential, existential sort of all of this really is to us. Um, but we certainly can see from the choices that we're making that we're, you know, that we struggle, I guess, individually and even you know, organizationally, nationally, about making some of these things a real true priority, um, which is, I think, necessary to really bringing about change. So, again, bringing on your perspective in Europe or and your your own research and experience, how do we make the topic of sustainability a priority 
Um, and how do we, I think, if you described before about the C-suite and, 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 you know, getting our leaders involved in this, you know, any advice in that respect as well? It's um it's a very tough one, Dale, um, in, in giving some advice. But let me let me try to share like a little bit of um I mean what I'm seeing and where I believe that that goes to because I mean that we have been looking into we need to rethink healthcare systems. I think that is a very long discussion. So this is not where we need to start. Um, that's a more uh, trajectory I would say into the hopefully near future. But we need definitely um well engage with policymakers also from the healthcare um, provider side, like what is needed in order to have the right policies, the right guidance um, to actually incentivize um, hospitals to do change. I would say this is one. And also here we know, um, and I don't want to go into detail, but policy um, might not be the quickest. Um, so I think there needs to be um, different actions um, going in parallel. So meanwhile, policies are being shaped and we can see quite some um, efforts here in the European space, um, looking into how can that look like. Um, also from a fair um, point of view, I would say, how do we not um, disadvantage smaller organizations and um, bringing up um, like tougher guidelines, how, we how do we deal with CO2 taxes? Um, I think that's all very valid um, conversations that are happening. And I think it's also important that we um, define like the policies that help us become more sustainable as healthcare um, providers, healthcare organizations. And in the parallel, I think um, this is for us as healthcare professionals, like really stepping up and this making this, I would say, an agenda topic already today. And that means to me that the C-suite in hospitals needs to put sustainability on the agenda because if it is not about health in a hospital then what is the hospital for right and um i think the um, the challenge here and i would say i fully like feel that also like from that very difficult point of view um where do you go in terms of this is your budget and this is what expected from you and this is a quiet stretch so how do you manage that but i would say um that is also a very difficult question to be solved. And I think this is also where um, the policymaking needs to come in to actually incentivize these kind of behavior and incentivize these kind of actions. But in the meantime, I think it's such a um, important topic also looking into how to attract talents, how to retain employees, because being in the healthcare space, this is what people sign up for working in that area. So I think being pioneering, putting that on the agenda, bringing that into the operations and actually setting clear targets of where you want to go um, is absolutely helpful to define, I would say, structures like organizational structures that make that happen, that really bring that into um, reality. And um, I just want to bring back that number of the 5% that actually the healthcare sector um, emits in terms of global um, emissions, this is double as the aviation sector. So like, if this is not a call to action, I mean, I wonder what really does move us, right? So for me, this is about leadership. And as I mentioned before, not only C-suite, also us as individuals taking ownership and being accountable for what can we do better? And I also want to build up what, um, of what Kendra was saying in terms of the awareness. I think we need to build skills because we do know too little. So we need to invest in 
the organizations, bringing the right team uh, members on board, bringing also the right innovation um, actually into the organization to do change. And um, well, tying like everything what we're doing into um, the question around sustainability. I remember these discussions taking place um, when we were discussing digital transformation. I have the impression we're back to um, that same discussion. We changed the topic. And this is not about, um, I would say, um, hiring one sustainability manager, but this is really like making a shift towards like everything what we're doing here. We want to strive the sustainability decision making and this step by step we are not changing everything from today to tomorrow and i think this is also for me um, a call out that due to the complexity it's like starting small but looking into what it is that we want to achieve and this is for me the leadership that needs to set out the strategy to actually help the teams to accomplish with very concrete actions and um, measures of how we can improve from a healthcare provider side yeah, and I think it makes very good sense, uh, Elisa. I mean, and from a leadership perspective, in terms of developing cultures and and values, I guess that that everybody else operates under. Uh, I can certainly relate to, you know, a different part in my own career when I worked at a at a mine um, in Canada's north, and, um, you know, I I can't remember what the actual percentage was, but it was somewhere between twenty to thirty percent of the the cost of operating that facility um, was its energy consumption because um, everything had to be brought in. Uh, all energy was burnt on site. It was all diesel and it all had, right? So they had a huge impact, I guess, coming back to our conversation earlier on their scope one emissions, um, but it was also their greatest opportunity to save money and improve their profitability. Um, and so they had an initiative to engage all members of the organization at a thousand people for ideas that could be brought forward to reduce their energy consumption. Um, and so you had, a, you know, everybody putting a thousand people putting ideas into a suggestion box that would ultimately go up the food chain um, to be implemented as ways to reducing costs. And I would suggest that some of what you've been describing here is trying to engage our own healthcare organizations and system in a similar sort of uh, opportunities for innovation, um, not just coming back to your point around cost savings alarm, but ultimately around the sustainability of our health system and the impact, I think, as you're describing, Elisa, that it has on our global um, environment. So, um, so yeah, there's certainly a, a lot in there. I think you guys are all describing exceptionally well the, the systems that we operate in and that nothing is sort of separated from that. Um, and the important role that our leadership has to have, starting with dialogue and conversations, as you've been describing. So what hope can, you know, you bring to us in terms of what is happening globally? Because um, there's been certainly, I think, a lot of conversation here on the problem. <laughs> I think people will finish this podcast understanding, yeah, uh, we have a problem and healthcare is part of it and it's certainly part of the solution. Um but what 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 is the, what's the glimmer of hope that we can give to to our listeners here, Alan? There's definitely more than a glimmer of hope here. I, I don't want to end the podcast on a on a on a, on a uh, low note. Uh, but there's a lot that's happening. The one good thing we have going on in healthcare is uh, we focus on people already, 
And there's only two problems in the world right now. There's only two real problems. One is people and the other is planet. And healthcare already has a strong people focus. So we already have half of a focus right. And sustainability is, is something that is a focus of most, if not all healthcare organization. It's just the how-to is that's where they get it wrong. It's not that they don't want to. It's, it's just the path is very convoluted. And, you know, that's greenwashing and those kind of things haven't helped. Um, but we've made mistakes. We learned from them. And we are trying to get the focus right, right on both these problems, the people and the planet at the same time. The other thing we have good that's going on for us is there's a lot of industries that have done this right for-profit industries. So we don't need to, to, to um, fight this without having an understanding. The one cautious thing is in healthcare, we always try to replicate. And that's where we make a mistake. Healthcare is different from other, other industries. Uh, solutions that work for other com companies, when we try to replicate in healthcare, they don't work well and we give up and then we say, healthcare is different, doesn't work, move on. The thing we need to do is we need to reapply the solutions that work for the other, other, other organization, other industries. And that's where things start to get interesting. When we see what they've done right, we analyze it, how we can utilize in healthcare. That's when things get interesting and that's when we start to move mountains. Telemedicine is, is huge. And we've had it around for a long time. We just never thought it was possible to use it for, for healthcare until now, when we were not left with a choice, then we had to figure out, we had to reapply to healthcare. Uh, there's greener healthcare facilities. And that's the big challenge we have in, 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 in Canada, the infrastructure that is required to, to make facilities that are greener, more sustainable. That's the challenge. Uh, the investment that's required is, is, has a huge price tag. But then again, it comes down to in what time frame are you looking at this uh, price tag. 10 years from now, we may have a completely different crisis that, you know, we won't be able to fight this one through. So applying that lens, uh, yes, it makes prudent sense to make those investments. The reduction in packaging is, is, is a big one in healthcare that we're seeing. Uh, the plastics using biodegradable material, uh, green packaging, that's making a huge impact in the way we deliver healthcare. And also on the prescriber side, we, we have uh, a younger generation of prescribers coming out, understanding uh, what happens downstream once they write a prescription and give it to a patient. So having that lens as well, there's this global organizations such as Healthcare Without Harm and Canadian ones such as Cascades that are focusing and helping healthcare providers solve these problems. We cannot do this on our own. Collaboration is the key, having very healthy working partnerships. Uh, and that's what we, we've been trying to do at Health Pro Canada as well, having global part partners uh, such as Health Pro Europe, trying to solve these big problems, knowing we can do it and knowing that we cannot do it alone and knowing that we have partners that we can do this with. Is, is the biggest glimmer of hope that we can get out of uh, this podcast.
Thanks, Alam. That's uplifting and uh, is, is more than a glimmer, I think, as you describe. Um, so I know we're getting close to time in terms of our, our conversation here today. I, I, I feel like we could keep this going for much longer because we've just touched the surface on so many of these topics and issues that are, you know, so pervasive. Um, but, you know, maybe I can just sort of bring it back in terms of any final words that you want to share in terms of, you know, the conversation we've had here today um, and ask if there's uh, either other thoughts or reflections on, on where we've, we've landed so far. Um, so maybe I can start with you, Kendra. Sure. Um, I think we've done a good job of creating awareness. I think we're at that beginning stage still. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity to do a lot more and in a more refined and focused way. But I think, um, you know, just to summarize what, what it is that we do today, we provide data to assist with more informed supplier selection decision making in a more sustainable way. That could evolve into making sure that there's more attention on the scorecard towards that, i.e. more waiting for the decision uh, focused on that to help hospitals make more informed supplier selections, working with companies that are scoring better in sustainability. Um, you know, we, we educate information share. We have several um, webinars in the year, as well as our sustainability rounds where we're engaging global partners, as well as experts in industry to just provide their perspectives and just sharing that with the community at large. Um, we don't really restrict registration on that. It's, it's, it's something that everybody should hear. So that goes right across the spectrum. I think uh, it also becomes a collaboration and knowledge exchange. I, I can't think of anybody that walks away thinking, yeah, I, I knew that already. I didn't learn anything. There's always something to be learned in a nuance or in an approach or in a story or a case study in, in these discussions. So it's still good to get together and just talk simple as talking about your stories and, and what your progress has been in a year. Um, I think we do a great job with advocacy and influence. Uh, we leverage that collecting, collective purchasing power amongst our members and talk to our suppliers um, in total about it. We, we offer public webinars where they can all attend and learn about the sustainability scorecard and why it's important and where it's going and how it's evolving. We're even looking to create an awards program that incentivizes suppliers who have shown year-over-year -year improvement or continuously score high uh, based on our changing measures of sustainability as we evolve as a sector. Uh, I think where we stand to do better um, and where we would like to go is in the data and reporting sphere. So being able to collect and process the data into information that can make better informed choices. Right now it's fairly manual and I think we, we touched on that with respect to uh, EMRs and the lack of connectivity in the system. A lot of these measurements are manual. There's not really a way to process them. Um, in a streamlined way so so a lot of effort goes into creating a very little bit of information uh, so that potentially could be um you know an area of development for us thanks kendra and yes i mean i i know you know and just for our listeners I, I, this isn't an infomercial right but i think it is awareness building um and i think it i think without being explicit i think you've you've all 
made it, I think, very clear about the value that organizations like yourselves, um, you know, can play within helping other organizations, um, you know, address their um, impact on sustainability emissions or um, supply chain management positively. Um, so I certainly would encourage um, any listeners who want to learn more about um, either Health Pro Canada or Health Pro Europe to certainly to to visit our show notes and, and look at uh, your organizations for more information, your leading practices, your um, advice and, and solutions that others and examples that others can learn from to certainly help them through this journey because we're certainly all in this together. Um, any last words to you, um, Elisa? Well, like really last words, because uh, I think Alam and Kendra made absolutely the point. And uh, what I would like to play back to you um, both is I think uh, you're doing such an amazing job um, at your group purchasing organization. And for me, honestly, this is also where like a role model um, can take that lead of actually helping hospitals, of guiding the way, of, you know, setting um a system and a way to work because I think this is so important to create that inspiration to guide along the way to make them feel that they're not alone because this also from our point of view being that association rather of the individual procurement um, professionals this is what we see so valuable because sometimes um, it feels awkward for one individual to put out a question because they're fearing like oh maybe I'm the dumb one here in the room and actually we're not we're, we're all like new in this and I think this is what I would like to give away ask your questions bring in your ideas and your thoughts because this is for all of us actually to start this and this is for all of us to think about it and this is like for us the leverage um as a network of connecting the different dots of creating the synergies and bringing out what each individual person but also organization is doing to actually show the whole bandwidth of what is going on and i think that's the beauty like from a global point of view that we're trying to leverage among our both organizations. Yeah, and I think, I mean, not to overstate perhaps what should be obvious, right? But I mean, if, you know, our healthcare sector in Canada is eight to 10% of our GDP, right? The, the strength of everybody sort of rowing in the same direction, making informed choices together around, you know, where we purchase things or how we do things um, is, a very strong incentive, right, for suppliers and others in the industry, right, to uh, to perhaps make changes. Um, so there's a lot of influence in that space. Um, and I think one of the, the key points that I've heard throughout the conversation here um, today, um, which is that, and I think as you've described in some ways, Alam, right, that, you know, this, you know, we have two issues about people and, and, and planet, right, but that healthcare itself is an outcome, I guess, of sustainability, right? I think it's in some ways, right? If, if we do the other parts properly and well, we will be healthier. Um, and so the, the, if the impact or performance of our health system and, and, our, and the health of our people will be reflected by the health of our planet. Um, so, um, yeah, I've just, I've really enjoyed the conversation. Um, thank you for so um, uh, sharing your experience with me and, and our listeners here today, um, making something that is really, I think, quite complicated. Um, 
you know, with a lot of variables and, and aspects, um, I think a little bit more relatable um, so that hopefully we can all take action together on something that is ultimately important to each and every one of us. Thank you so much, Dale. Thanks so much, Dale. Thanks for the conversation. Thank you. Take care, everyone. You've been listening to The HQ, and I'm Dale Sherbeck, your host. You can find this and other future episodes on the CHA Learning website, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. We'd love to hear what you think, so please follow us on our other social media channels. Thanks for joining us in this discussion today. Please join us next time.